0: Welcome, you're listening to All Things Naval Aviation with your host, Rear Admiral John Meyer, Commander, Naval Air Force Atlantic.
1: Welcome to All Things Naval Aviation. This is Rear Admiral John Meyer, your host, Commander, Naval Air Force Atlantic. And today I've got a special guest, Commander Adrian Jope call sign Catfish. He is the lead of the Physiological Episodes Action Team, or the
0: Pete. and uh, really great to have you here today, Catfish. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for having us. This you is a great way for us to get the word out. On it, it is, you know,
1: you gave us, you've been doing superb work for the team here for a number of years. Uh, you out-briefed the AirBoss and I now, it's was probably a little over a month ago. Yes, uh, I did see your uh, TED Talk online, and as I uh, joked uh, with Catfish, you know, TED Talks are supposed to be 15 minutes. Uh, his video was about an hour and a half, but, man, it is it is deep. It goes, you know, all the way uh, to the bottom of the issue. But for this audience, if you don't mind, could you uh, tell us a little bit, you know, just the, maybe at the very outset, uh, explain the difference between a physiological event and a physiological episode for us.
0: Yes, sir. So flying uh, in the aircraft, uh, obviously... Uh, aircrew could get and develop symptoms, and it could be as a result of uh, some pressure anomaly in the aircraft, uh, with anomaly with the environmental control system, uh, or some uh, aircraft auction system uh, type OBOGS uh, symptoms. Now, if those symptoms are attributed to an actual failure in the aircraft, uh, that's what we call a physiological event or a PE. And when we cannot tie those symptoms to a failure in the aircraft, sir, that's when we're looking at a physiological episode.
1: That, that makes perfect sense, and you know, over my years of flying, I've had a couple of events that uh, I think now, with the clarity of hindsight, uh, rapid decompression or cat loss of cabin pressurization at altitude, uh, or oxygen uh, problems that I've had, where I ran out of locks. I mean, I'm sure. so old that the aircraft I flew had locks in the in the Prowler, um, but we didn't. We weren't too smart on those things back sure. then, and uh, this really. Uh, I guess maybe came into into the the news, if you will, around 2012, I think is where it started to emerge. And it came to a head in about 2017. We stood up the peat. Can you talk about that that history of that a little bit?
0: Absolutely, sir. And and we saw a little bit in the Air Force. I mean, everybody remember, remembers the F-22 uh, had some issues as well.
1: Yeah, there was a 60 Minutes uh, yes, sir, episode that I remember watching and this. thinking at the same time, oh, bogs, huh?
0: Right. Don't we have right. something like that? Yeah, it was... Uh, Yes, sir. So we started tracking uh, these events uh, about the 2010 timeframe, and then we saw a kind of gradual increase and then a rapid increase in 2017, so much so that with T45, uh, we actually shut down the training pipeline, which, and you know, I think we're, st- we're gradually getting back to where we were, but that was a major... Uh, issue Obviously, for the tactical uh, aviation pipeline. Right, we're uh, still recovering from that sort of, a little bit today. You
1: can't just turn off the pipe for, I want to say it was about
0: nine months, I think. It was a few months, yeah. uh, but the nice thing is we've seen a dramatic uh, decrease in P's, and, and I'll get to that here in a second. F 18, you know, fortunately, we never had to shut down uh, the aircraft, uh, but uh, it got a lot of attention, rightfully so, from uh, flag officers. Uh, and obviously Congress, and so there was a uh, a comprehensive review that was conducted at PAC Fleet, and out of that uh, they formula uh, the, they formulated the PEAT. It was a direct report to VCNO to get after this and try to figure out what was going on with the aircraft, and we did find some stuff with the aircraft, but we also found that you know the human has a big aspect and a, and a big role to play uh, in PE. But fortunately, uh, the top line message, sir, is that since 2017, uh, the the respective peaks in T45 in July of 17 and then with F18 in November of 17 we've seen a 94 percent decrease in T45 PEs and a 79 percent uh, decrease in F18 so that is really a good news story as a result of the stuff that we've been doing.
1: Yeah that that certainly is the definition of getting after it. Sir. Sure. Right so your guidance was pretty clear and I think from the formation of the PEED. Uh, you as the lead, but in coordination with BUMED, uh, physiologists, flight surgeons, and, and outside experts as well, uh, you have gotten after this. Can you talk a little bit about some of the findings that you had, some of the major findings? Because there were a whole
0: lot of yes, findings and things, but
1: uh, we don't have time to go
0: into right. every one of those. Right. Uh, and so the P, uh I would... I would look at our charge as uh, kind of a conductor of an orchestra uh, where we're kind of top line messaging and getting those uh, different organizations that you talked about. So the fleet and BUMED and academia uh, and industry all playing together to kind of get after this. Uh, And what we did was a, a root cause corrective action where there were two independent teams from T45 and F18, about 100 plus individuals, 30 organizations, and about $50 million where we went to go leave no stone unturned. Uh, there were two independent teams and they uncovered 567 recommendations. Um, which we eventually consolidated to 466. So that's a lot. It's, it's not and a lot of consolidation, no. <laughs> but that is uh, a lot of lot of stuff to get. It after. is, and, and we're and we're tracking that to zero right now and closing those out. We're about 60 percent complete since we started doing that. But uh, we out briefed RCCA uh, in February of this last year, uh, all those recommendations, um, and some of the major top line uh, key findings and. I think everybody was hoping for that smoking gun. Right. I and mean, we never did find that, sir. We found kind of a stacking of degraders in the yeah, safety and safety center. It,
1: right, and important with that, with those findings, is also, I think, very important is what you didn't find. Right, right. So that's you yes. didn't
0: find the smoking gun. Yes, we, we didn't, but we found some things that, uh, you know, there was a lot of information or some conjecture out there what we thought it was. Uh, and, you know, these are some pretty uh, major uh, things that I'm going to say, but uh, we did not find contamination. 20,000 plus samples. We, we found stuff as what OSHA would continue uh, would consider uh, an irritant level, so parts per billion, where most of their standards are in parts per uh, million. So that was done uh, with those samples, but independent toxicologists looked at it as well. So that Obogs air was very, very clean. Uh, what we've been educated from the get-go as aviators, we've always heard of hypoxia and decompression sickness. Uh, that's all we've ever really talk to or train to, uh, and it's neither. Uh, It's not hypoxic hypoxia, and it's not decompression sickness. Uh, And hypoxic hypoxia, just for the the audience, is
1: uh, a lack of oxygen. So if you're breathing what you think is oxygen, and it doesn't have the... Requisite, Requisite oxygen, amount. you effectively become oxygen depleted, Yes, sir. hypoxic hypoxia, yes, right? And,
0: and the OBOGs, again, putting out very clean air, uh, non-conta- non-contaminated air, but uh, producing high-quality oxygen but never below 21%. And a lot of aviators didn't know that. I didn't know that before I came to the team, that the OBOGs cannot take oxygen out of the air. So below 10,000 feet, that's ambient. That's what you need. Uh, so uh, that's a big thing that we're getting into the systems knowledge and into aviators' minds of the training And with DCS, I mean, to have decompression sickness of kind of the dive type injuries that we talk about where we were doing hyperbaric oxygen therapy for a long time, we haven't treated uh, a pressure related PE uh, with HBOT for a year now. And it really tapered off a lot over the last couple of years because that was not really the mechanism of injury. To have a rapid decompression at high altitude, that's where you would result in DCS. So a cabin altitude of 18,000 to begin with, which is about 44 to 45 aircraft altitude, it's pretty high up. And we don't always find ourselves very high up in that uh, regime. So again, altitude and then a rapid D potentially could have that nitrogen coming out of the system or out of your solution, which would result in DCS sickness. Right. So we
1: didn't find that. No decompression sickness, no contaminants, and good... Uh, clean air coming out of uh, the OBOG
0: system right. so uh, what did you find so we found that uh, and I think aviators will be very happy to hear this uh and we were restoring confidence to the aircraft. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of confidence a few years ago. We're gradually getting that back by driving this down. But we didn't find any design flaws, per se, with the OBOGs or the ECS. Didn't say that we couldn't tweak some things. And so we've done some part, you know, slight redesign to make them more fault tolerant. But one of the big things is that we added life limits to these parts. A lot of these were designed for fly to fail. And that just wasn't the right thing way of doing things but especially
1: when you look at extensions and service life of aircraft um, maybe we should have perhaps caught
0: those earlier but the fact that we have identified them and we're getting after them is impressive yes sir you think about the center barrel replacement keeping the airframe alive but what about the guts right Uh, so we've done that but one of the the really neat things that kind of came as a result of pe was Uh, You know, aviators carry these little orange devices called slam sticks, and what that does is it measures the uh, pressure inside the cabin at either a one hertz or a ten hertz, so one data point per second or ten data points per second. We found that when you pair that with the aircraft maintenance unit data, uh, the MU data, uh, and we get enough of that from a bunch of different aircraft from the fleet that we start to be able to kind of build the environmental control system. Uh, and Aviators, I think, were very concerned about uh, pressure-related PEs, and rightfully so, because there were aviators that people knew that were down for quite some time, but we were able to really get after the pressure side of the house, and we've dropped pressure-related PEs since the institution of HART by uh, 88%, which is a big drop, and that really started kind of in March 2019. It's fully outfitted throughout the Growler and Super Hornet fleet, as well as Legacy Hornet. But what we do is we build the ECS and then we start to see parts fail before it actually registers in the aircraft. So we develop what we call an MSP code, which basically would tell maintenance that, hey, you need to go to change out the S-bar S-bar uh, or some other piece in the environment control system. But also it's before aircrew even realize that, you know, there is an impending failure so they might write a gripe uh, for some cycling uh, pressure in the cockpit. So again, it's predictive maintenance, and this is a huge thing for naval aviation readiness because you're able to pull the aircraft into the barn, not only fix it and do the targeted maintenance on that part, you're potentially preventing a PE from happening in the first place, and that's probably why we're seeing a large decline in PEs. Uh, And the nice thing about HART is we're scratching the surface. We can start using this for other systems in the aircraft, the fuel systems, the power plants, generators. Uh, but it's a neat find that we found as a result of this whole RCCA and, and really uh, PE effort over the course of the last three years. Yeah, that's the part to me that's really impressive is to take that
1: slam stick data, marry it up with the MU, and then kind of get predictive and remove parts before AirCrew ever even notice uh, something. Uh, probably the most telling point for that is uh, early in the evolution of slam sticks in, in the MU data. Uh, We had an instance where there was some indications of a failing component. Uh, That information didn't get to the maintenance department in time, and then sure enough, before they could actually swap that out, we had a PE in the aircraft. We were fortunate that it was uh, a relatively minor PE. But I think it was that point that really reinforced to the Airboss and I that no, this is absolute. If this uh, flags a component, that aircraft's down, we change that uh, that equipment out or that that uh, component out, and then we restore it to yes, up status. Now you haven't stopped there either, though. So there's no. other things, so, and and I've used the slam stick. It's not um, the most convenient thing. Right, uh, you're carrying your. Uh, your flight suit pocket on your shoulder and then you pull it out and you kind of have to do some right. download and it's not uh perfect yes but it is uh
0: perhaps a band-aid step but
1: you're still right. working on some other ideas aren't we
0: you? are and so all this data actually goes down to what we call a supercomputer in in orlando and then it gets filtered back up through the teams at the various fleet concentration areas and then eventually the maintenance desk uh, we're working stuff to put it actually into fame so that you can download it right when you get back from your flight and stuff will flag uh, that's forthcoming here in the right, coming. So no hands. third
1: party required. It basically right, downloads, maintenance control gets the
0: information and immediately knows right. right then and there. They don't have to send it off and wait for the that's analysis. Right. Yep, and 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 it's a neat thing that's going to obviously help the readiness piece as well. But again, preventing PEs from happening in the first place. But yes, we are uh, developing uh, the cockpit pressure and O box monitoring system. So the C uh which is going to be installed fleet wide uh, across uh, all platforms. Uh, I think it's one of the largest installs we've ever done in naval aviation history uh, but you're actually going to have it in the aircraft that's downloadable uh, plane side uh, after a sortie uh, and then it's going to give you information of you know, how is the cabin pressure holding up inside the, you know the cabin with the environmental control system but it's also going to give you information and data coming off of the old box as well
1: that's uh, fantastic progress coming out of the superb leadership and work and investment of the there, there's another issue though that I want to touch on, and that is the issue of the aviator themselves, yes ourselves. As yes we, uh, I don't get to fly that much anymore. I'm not sure you get to fly much anymore, no, Catfish. Sir, I wish, but yeah. um, you know, I, I've always viewed it um, that we're very much like a college or professional athlete. That That's when right. we go to fly in that aircraft, you know, if we aren't well rested. Uh, well hydrated, you know, in good shape, you know, keeping up with our workout routines and all that, in good health. Uh, we really got no business getting in the cockpit. So can you talk a little bit about the human
0: aspect of this? as well I can sir and and that's a great segue I mean when we first started looking at this from RCCA it was like what's wrong with the aircraft we got to get after the airplane and fix this part and we just didn't find it we found a couple things in T-45 which were design changes that have helped things A simple idle tweak in the RPM gives more flow to the mask that's good we didn't find that in F-18 but we started to kind of really look at the human as well and be like wait a minute there's you know the most complex system In the aircraft is something that needs to be looked at as well Uh, and when you know you you use the analogy of being a professional athlete that's what we are I mean there's there are less of us than there are NFL football players that fly these type of fighters and I try to tell my wife that she makes fun of me but uh, I think it's pretty neat Uh, but you know you need to come to the aircraft every day uh, in tip-top condition so well rested well hydrated well nourished uh and you know in tip-top condition when you're flying twice or you're burning the candle both ends or you're drinking lots of coffee or you're tactically dehydrating because you don't want to have to use a piddle pack that's wrong uh, and you're setting yourself up potentially for an injury if a malfunction does happen in the aircraft and you see that where aviators will fly an airplane and it will have the same sort of uh, perturbations in the aircraft on one day but then a different aviator gets in that same airplane the same day has the exact same thing happen in the aircraft that may not be normal, and then there's symptoms that result. Uh, so part of that, too, sir, is education and understanding your systems in the airplane, uh, how the environment control system works, and how the OBOGS works, and we're getting that in the NATOPs. Right, and I think we've added, uh, yeah. the,
1: the NATOPs, you know, gets thicker over it the does. years, and this is a, a new addition of a lot of detail. Yep. Uh, So we have a better
0: understanding as operators of how these systems work. And and that's that's right, sir, and that's exactly what we want to do. So you have to understand the system, how it works, and how it protects you, but you also have to understand your system and your physiology and how it relates to the aerospace environment and that, hey, there's a lot more out there than hypoxia and DCS that can get you Um, and that we play a role in this. And so the aircraft definitely has been uh, part of the issue, and we're getting after that with all the stuff that we've talked about thus far. But the humans, you know, we've got to do a good job of educating. And, and we're doing a lot, sir, to get after that. So then ATOPS changes. We're adding language to 3710, and I'm happy to elaborate on some of those things.
1: Well, we've changed some of the procedures as well for mask wear as mm-hmm. well. And so as a Prowler pilot, I flew with uh, oxygen, liquid oxygen, in the aircraft. And we would uh, routinely uh, take our mask off to conserve locks, was right. what we would tell ourselves. And, and actually, you had to do that for some really long missions with only 30 liters of locks and four aircrew. Uh, but the F-18 was always different from the outset. It was where you wear your mask 100% of the time except for minor relief. And what we found is that you know, below 10,000 feet, you can't get hypoxic. I mean, right. scientifically, you can't get hypoxic. So pop your mask off and now you're breathing 10,000 uh, uh, elevation ambient air. Uh, and it was really, it was Doc Wells that was really adamant about that, who has been a member of the Pete as well uh, on the team here. So uh, can you talk about that aspect a, l- a little bit, about maybe some of the procedural changes as far as uh, that goes? I can,
0: sir, and, and you're right. So, you know, OBOG, I think, came on around Lot 13 or so. The, some of the earlier Hornets had locks, but, you know, you had to conserve it. And so guys would take the mask off. With OBOG, it's like, oh, well, we have this <laughs> endless amount of oxygen. um but I already talked about uh, you know, what you bring to the aircraft. And so if you come tactically dehydrated, you breathe uh, oxygen that has no actual moisture to it, you're sitting in this gear for long periods of time doing these seven hour plus missions now, uh, you think of it, and we always use the analogy of how good does it feel to actually take your snorkel off when you've been snorkeling for a while, it feels pretty good, take that mask off and fill your lungs. But 94% oxygen as we have in the T-45 and F-18, it takes out all the other gases and kind of shoves more oxygen in there, right? It takes away nitrogen. And nitrogen is a really important gas that actually keeps our alveoli, those little, like, balloons at the end of the, our lung tr- uh, structure that actually, where the gas exchange happens and the oxygen goes to our system. So, nitrogen, just for the record, you're not a doctor. I'm not. But I, you've I, clearly I, yeah. been hanging out with a lot of doctors I, uh, on the peak. So, it's so we start yeah, talking yeah. about alveoli. Yeah, uh, Yeah. and uh, Alan Hoffman. I mean, right. I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this justice, but... You know, we're sending oxygen to the body, and so when the nitrogen uh, actually deflates, when the lack of nitrogen deflates your alveoli, uh, you have what's called absorption atelectasis. And if you stay on that oxygen system, now you've n- there's no nitrogen in your system anymore. It's affecting gas flow. The only way to really replenish that is to pull the mask off, take some ambient air from the cabin. That's going to help. But the other things that we've seen with the mask uh, stuff is that, we have seen issues with the mask itself uh, where you have a sticky exhalation valve from saliva or these long periods of time where it just kind of gets sealed shut or crumbs or mm-hmm. you know, other things that get in there and you essentially have to blow out that exhalation valve but again it's a work of breathing issue that you know kind of sneaks up on you and some of those things that we talked about earlier sir, sort of like hypoxia the same symptomology for hypoxia is very much similar to what we call hypocapnia mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, an excess blow off of carbon dioxide which drives breathing And so you don't know what's happening. Your body is an amazing system that's just trying to kind of compensate. Next thing you know, you can get things pretty out of whack. And the symptomology is the same as hypoxia. So we really want to tell aviators it's okay to take your mask off to kind of clear the mechanisms for the reasons I've talked about with, you know, the OBOGs and and what it's doing with the nitrogen. But also, if you're having issues breathing, that, hey, get down below 10,000. If you take your mask off, control that rate and depth of breathing, and you probably, hopefully, can get away from a bad path that you might be going down if you're trying to breathe on something yeah. that's not working. I
1: thought some of the other interesting findings were uh, some of the issues of training our parachute riggers, our right. PR community, on how to properly uh, size and fit our equipment, some of which uh, we think was restricting that ability right. to expand the lungs and you know take a really deep, uh, fulfilling breath uh, as part of the issue as well. But I mean, you guys really left no stone unturned. Uh, I will tell you the investment was uh, worth every penny. Uh, I think it reinforces the fact that our people are, in fact, our most precious resource. Sir. Sure. Uh, really appreciate uh, your leadership in this regard. Uh, it's important to emphasize, too, though, that we're not done. I mean, this is it's not uh, slap the table, here's the report, and uh, disband the peat. Uh, you're gonna continue on this process, and I would argue that as long as we have any PEs, uh, that's that's too many. I mean, we're certainly driving this to zero. So Catfish, to you and the entire team, Doc Hoffman, uh, who is here with you sure. uh, as well, and others, uh, superb, superb work. Thank you, sir. So, uh, this is Rear Admiral John Meyer, Commander Naval Air Force Atlantic. Thanks for taking the time to listen to us today. Oscar out.